Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back or welcome to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry. Hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. Each week, we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 90, we sit down with Alex Grace. It was really great to reconnect with Alex after nearly 10 years of an initial interaction. And uh, I'd I'd seen some of his content on LinkedIn and decided to reach out. And I'm I'm glad that I did. It was a super interesting uh, episode as we discuss the platform of Clockworks Analytics. And Alex walks us through their business model within their software as a service platform, supporting uh, mainly the the built environment, providing valuable information and insights to a couple of key vertical markets, including, but not limited to, healthcare and higher education. Now, as I normally say, stick around until the end to discover some of the best parts about this conversation. And this episode was no different. It was really cool to hear Alex discuss the advice that he would give to his 22-year-old self. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes. This is really the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So if you're one of the people out there who are still streaming the episodes, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it and leave a five-star review on our page. Now, we think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Alex and me, so let's drop in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Alex Grace, who is the Vice President of Sales and Business Development with Clockworks Analytics. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jim. Appreciate you having me. Of course. Yeah, this is uh, kind of an interesting journey here because I know I reached out to you. You and I had probably connected, you know, 10 years ago, maybe, and, and it had been a kind of a fuzzy connection. And I saw that you were recently uh, engaged on, on LinkedIn and, you know, putting out posts. And it looks like what you guys were doing was super interesting. And I'm glad we're, we're, we're taking the time here. So before we get into uh, all the interesting things you guys are doing at Clockworks Analytics, I was hoping you could give our audience just a brief background of of you, you know, kind of where you grew up and, and how you got started in your career. Yeah, sure thing. I grew up in the Boston area, uh, went to college, University of Wisconsin-Madison, came back to Boston shortly thereafter. And I've been in this little niche of fault detection and diagnostics and building analytics for the last 15 years. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, uh, not to spend too much time here, but what... Uh, what was it? What was it like growing up in the Boston area? And then, how did you? What What prompted you to land at uh, University of Wisconsin Madison? Just curious. Sure. Well, I like to say I got lucky because it's a it's a hell of a place. Madison's a great town, um, but I had some family out there in Wisconsin, so I had a cousin two years ahead of me. And uh, once you go to a Wisconsin football game, it's it's, pretty, it's a pretty impressive sight. So I felt really <laughs> nice. really lucky to have my my time out in the Midwest, and then uh, you know was a uh, Great to come back here and be close to family. Okay. All right. Very good. Yeah. And uh, all right. So you graduate from Wisconsin-Madison. You come back home. Tell us about, you know, maybe one of the first jobs that you had out of college and, and then just kind of how you progressed through your career here. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I had a pretty, uh, maybe a bit untraditional beginning. Um, was really lucky to connect uh, with a, a great mentor uh, named Dave Peck. We're lucky to still work together today, actually. 
all these years later in slightly different capacities. Um, but uh, had the opportunity to help start a business here locally that was really reselling uh, reselling analytics technology. At the time, it was really based around um, just the whole concept of operational efficiency, that you can really identify opportunities to improve the energy performance of buildings and do that in a low-cost, no-cost way was pretty pretty enamoring. I was really ideologically motivated, of course, coming out of school and fascinated by renewable energy. It was a big deal. that uh, still is today, but certainly was a big deal then as well. And uh, looking around and, and the idea that uh, that you could actually make an enormous impact with efficiency was certain something certainly something that motivated me from the beginning. So I got connected to Dave and and a um, little bit of an interesting story there. But it was a company called Impact Energy Solutions. And make a long story short, there we had a quite quite a ride with a venture backed technology in this space that had raised a lot of money at that time. Who we were we were reselling their technology had really built the playbook for how to go to market. Um, with this type of technology and build successful uh, customer base, and then had rolled in with that company as they grew from six people to 180 within a two-year period, with a with a large acquisition at that time. So that was quite a quite a ride. Learned a lot for sure, both on uh, on how to do things and quite a bit as well on how not to do things because that that company ended up burning a lot of capital very mm. very quickly and flaming out eventually. So. That was a little bit of that backstory before I got connected uh, with Clockworks. All right, maybe we'll do another podcast on what not to do. Right, that's it. <laughs> sounds like we could fill up some uh, some content with that. So we'll uh, we'll there's, save there's that. Some stories there for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, yep. we'll save that for the next one. All right. So tell us. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was intrigued by the kind of the technology, the software, what you guys are doing, and especially uh, you know here in the, the building space. And uh, tell us about the company, maybe a little bit of the the background, and then you know how you guys are primarily going to market today. Yeah, sounds good. I'll start maybe just just. Talk about that that introduction. You know, I was really, really fortunate. You know, a lot of things in life are right place, right time, right. And um, was really fortunate to have a friend in the PhD uh, program at MIT in building science, who had said, "Hey, you know, you really, you really should talk to this guy, Nick Gajewski, a buddy of mine, who's who's doing work here, this company they're starting called Clockworks." Um, so, you know, really around that right place, right time. You know, in 2012, having four or five years experience selling fault detection and diagnostics was uh, an enormous amount of time, right? Because that industry was just beginning. Sure. So a lot of things in life are, are luck like that. And was really fortunate to get connected to Nick um, and uh, and the whole KGS team at the time were called KGS Buildings. Um, so um, Nick, Sean, Stephen, and then, and then John, another founder who, who came on to build up the software. And at that time, there's about 60 buildings on the platform. You know, the team was really early, just an incredible technical team uh, with really a product that I could see right away uh, had some massive differentiation in the market. And then, you know, a lot, lot to talk about there, but uh, got involved at that early point as a first business hire. And um, in that, that 10 year period, we've grown from those 60 or so sites, might have been a little more, but I think it's about accurate. To uh, we just hit 3,000 buildings. We are monitoring 420,000 mechanical assets. So that's data streaming in from mechanical equipment in buildings every five minutes from sites in 30 countries, uh, over half a million square feet, uh, sorry, 500 million square feet of real estate there. So uh, quite a journey, you know, in terms of the scaling over that 10 year period. And it's been a lot of fun. 
Yeah, and I was looking at uh, I was looking at the website. It looks like you know the application for the software and solution spans you know multiple different building types or vertical markets, right? But is there one that you've seen, maybe one or two that you've seen that just receives the technology uh, better, or it's uh, you know best applied? I've just found a lot of companies in this space. You know, they kind of carve out a niche within a facility type. So, is there something for you guys, or is it truly you know wide ranging across vertical markets? Well, the first thing to mention, just for for those maybe a little less familiar with the space, is that, uh, of course, there needs to be data in the first place, right? So we are a software-only, analytics-only company, meaning that we do not have hardware. So we're leveraging the hardware that is already on site within building automation. So a Johnson Controls, or a Siemens, or a Schneider, or a Honeywell, or a Tritium system, or an Allerton, or you name it, some type of building automation system that's there that is controlling the HVAC equipment, Mm -hmm. and that we're able to unlock that data and bring it to the cloud. So we map buildings to a diagnostic information model. And what that means is that that model understands how is this equipment supposed to operate, not only on its own, but within a system. And then we run diagnostics every day to tell building operators and managers the top priorities in their facilities across three core dimensions. What are the biggest issues affecting you from an energy perspective, from a comfort of building occupants perspective and from the perspective of maintenance you know what if i don't fix it today is going to become a big headache bigger headache tomorrow so that's just a quick kind of foundational understanding of what we do and then to answer your question around what segments um it's a good question you know there's broad applicability across buildings that have building automation that's kind of the technical answer meaning it's always applicable in that case where we have spent a lot of time focusing is across three core segments in our direct business. And then we have our partner business as well, which has a little bit of a different profile. So on the, on the direct, the enterprise business side for us, uh, higher education is a big market, healthcare, and pharmaceuticals and corporate real estate portfolios. And, and what those three segments have in common is that they have robust facilities organizations with a lot of intelligent engineers in-house that really have a lot to manage and are looking for technology to help improve the way that they manage their buildings, to be able to spend less time being reactive, less time troubleshooting and more time fixing. So that's the kind of where we've spent a lot of time, you know, is in those segments that are sort of more complex facilities managing, whether it's a laboratory or an operating room in a hospital, you have qualities that you care about, about how that space runs, of which energy is an important component, but it is certainly not the only. It's mission critical parts of what you do. And that can also be a factor for office buildings if people really care about the productivity of their employees as well and are forward thinking in that way. Makes sense. Yeah. You mentioned unlocking the existing systems, uh, Johns Controls, a Honeywell, a Siemens building technologies. It, this doesn't need to get too far into the weeds, but I am curious, like what that process looks and sounds like, right? From a partnership standpoint, is that something where uh, it's it's a licensing deal, or is that something where these existing manufacturers say, "Hey, it's it's a royalty"? I, I'm just thinking, like, what what does that sound like when you're when you're communicating with those types of providers? Sure. So I guess uh, I'll take technical and then commercial. So on the technical front. Sure. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about just integrating to those systems and in order to get data out. So not so much a license or any, any sort of commercial side, but more just okay. if that data has backnet capability or is a Niagara-based system where you can read via Haystack or okay. a range of other protocols like OPC, more in industrial environments, 
Um, those are some of the more common ones. What's really beautiful about that is that it has gotten easier over the years. You know, if I look back 10 years, 15 years, the amount, the, the amount of proprietary systems that we would have to connect to was a lot more. And there has been a, you know, it, it's a slow, it's not a fast moving industry. That's for sure. Right. This hardware and software tends to be installed for a long time, but it has absolutely changed dramatically when you look back just to the amount of systems you can actually pull data from seamlessly. So that's, uh, that's really good news. And it's definitely made it a lot easier in the space. Um, and then on the commercial front, um, you know, th that's kind of a different category. We don't need to partner necessarily for that integration piece, but okay. we do have some interesting things to talk about there. We've had a global OEM deal with Schneider Electric actually since 2012. So that's a, a big relationship for us where we, we have a great, you know, global technology partnership there and Schneider, uh, uh, sells Clockworks as part of different strategies in the market under the brand name Building Advisor. Oh, cool. Okay. All right. No, that's that's kind of what I was looking for. And I know it's kind of a, a naive question, but this is uh this is just kind of um, newer territory for me personally. So I appreciate you walking me through that. And I'm sure our audience will appreciate it as well. So that's all that's all really good stuff. And I think what we wanted to do, Alex, you know, I've yeah, I was, we're talking about kind of being at the forefront of uh, technology and, and building and science and everything that you guys are doing. I mean, where where do you see the industry heading? You know, if you were to hover out 5, 10, 15 years from now, where do you see our uh, building industry heading in general? Yeah, I appreciate the question. You know, it's amazing when you're, when you're caught in the day-to-day. -day, it's really useful just to zoom out sometimes and say, wow, you know, I mean, this is still new stuff. You know, if you look at how many buildings have the ability have diagnostics that truly tell them where the problems are, not just an alarm that there's already been a fire to put out, but actually being able to look ahead and see where mechanical failure and controls failures are appearing. You know, we always say it's not a question of if the sensors will fail, if the valves will leak or the dampers will stick. It's a question of when and mm -hmm. being able to pick up those things in a seamless, a seamless manner. And when you look at how many buildings actually have that capability today, it's actually not that many from a percentage perspective. Certainly, it's more when you look at um, uh, more complex facilities, like the ones that we're focused on. But it's still we're still scratching the surface. So, you know, from where I sit every on a day to day level, looking out 10, 15 years, there's going to be a lot more analytics in buildings. It's in fact, it's going to look absurd to look back and say, how did we possibly manage these buildings without having diagnostics to be able to pinpoint the root cause of problems? You know, it's going to look very archaic. So, so that I think is, is is truly clear. You know, do we can talk about whether it's five years from now or is it ten, or you know, more pessimists might say fifteen for sure. But uh, there's no question we are on that trajectory. And in a big driver of that is simply demographic. You know, I did a post on this recently, and when you look at the at, at, when you look at facilities organizations and the amount of people that are retiring from from the trades that's a big topic right and from facilities yeah. management in general yeah uh there's no question that it we need technology to be able to help us cover more ground with uh less technical experts in these portfolios and that trend when you when you when you look at where we are is definitely going to continue i'm really inspired by different educational programs and vocational programs that are looking to help address that problem Right, I think that's really important, um, but it does seem like no matter what, we we've got at least a long stretch of time here where that's going to be the case, and um, and being able to allow people to cover more ground by having more visibility 
it's also really gratifying in your work, right? To be able to solve uh, a lot of problems. And you have a lot of people that are really inspired by that smart building technology that are excited by it, that are going to help pull more people into this industry as well. So those are some thoughts that come to mind around 10, 15 years. I think there's no question in some, this is really now, but will continue as well, which is just, you know, trends around decarbonization, around electrification on where we're going from a sustainability perspective are just going to increase more and more. You know, we're starting to see carbon pricing be a real thing. You know, that's something that we've been talked about for such a long time. But for our European clients, we are active in Europe. You know, that that's a big topic that is not just theoretical. It's actually real in terms of dollars and cents. And it, it's hard to see that going away, right? It seems that we're going to be more and more economic drivers um, to, to improve the efficiency of operations. And I hope have more and more awareness that it's not just a question of large capital projects and installing things. But, you know, we can have the most efficient car in the world and drive it with the brake and the gas on at the same time. And we can do the same thing with building, right? So this operational efficiency is something that I think will get continued attention uh, in the next coming years, you know, because we need to not just be focused at electrifying and not just be focused on decarbonizing, um, but also focused on the consumption side as well, what we're doing. That's on the environmental front. And I think on on a different side of the equation, you know, you look at the awareness around indoor air quality in the last last couple of years. Of course, with pandemics, wildfires, everything else, you know, that that seems to be an area that is also not going to go away. As there's more and more awareness about the impact of the health of our indoor environments on human health, right? And 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 being able to make sure that we have proper ventilation levels, um, and uh, yeah, I think that's going to be a continued trend as well. So those are some areas that come to mind. You covered a lot of ground there and yeah. super, super <laughs> insightful. I was waiting for you to talk about AI. I mean, what role mm. do you see there, if any? Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It's a big topic, a lot of excitement, a lot of interest. When we talk about AI, we really have to break down what particular techniques uh, that are out there in the tool set and what those look like. Uh, there's no question that, I mean, that world is just changing tremendously fast. We all can see that all the time, right? I mean, just what we can do right now with GPT and everything else is pretty mind-blowing. So there's no question we're going to see more applications for different technologies. The, the big buzz right now with GPT, with Google Bard, uh, and you name it, is around the LLMs, right? The large language models and, and the, the natural language, and language processing ability and what that's going to mean to disrupt a lot of industries. <laughs> There's also a lot of other forms of AI. So the primary form that Clockworks uses today is called expert systems. And this is AI that leverages human knowledge as opposed to AI that learns on its own. So the way the kind of soundbite there would be like, we don't necessarily need to learn the laws of thermodynamics. We already know what they are. So we can embed those into a diagnostic approach that already understands you know, the, the properties of these systems and how they're supposed to operate. But there's no question, all of this is going to evolve tremendously. Um, when you think about the LLM front, um, you know, we're, we're giving a lot of thought to that. When, it, when we, we have 40,000 tasks that have now been completed, over 40,000 in Clockworks, more every day. That means a technician actually opened a work order or an engineer opened a work order uh, based on a problem that Clockworks found. You know, these cooling towers could be staged more efficiently. This actuator has failed. This sensor is broken. This valve is leaking. Simultaneous heating and cooling is going on. 
have created an action in a workflow, have entered text information as to what they found, how they have fixed it, um, and close that out to actually get the benefit to their organization. So my point of describing that little flow there is to say that there's a lot of interesting text that is there. And there's no question I can see, you know, kind of on a personal level that there's there's opportunity to analyze that text for sure. That's something we'll be looking at in the future. Um, is, you know, I think there's a lot of talk about LLMs being commoditized, that eventually you're going to have kind of these commoditized LLMs and and where there's going to be a lot of uniqueness in AI in terms of creating enterprise value is where you have actually very unique data sets that are not just publicly available on the internet to be crawled and learned from in a large language model. Um, so yeah, just some different points there, but no question it'll all continue to evolve both in terms of machine learning, large language models, and, and some other areas that are more kind of traditional uses of AI that we're using today that I think are still not quite understood as it relates to our industry. It's just the power of those expert systems that actually include human decision-making today. You know, I know I put you on the spot, but I had a feeling you were going to have an opinion on it. So I wanted to, uh, wanted to get your thoughts. I appreciate you sharing that. So I think that's uh, sure. that's really good. Yeah. Really good stuff. So, so Alex, let's, uh, let's close out. Let's move to the, uh, the last part of the show here. I was going to ask you the same four questions I asked every guest who comes on and I wanted to lead off with uh, what are your daily non-negotiables? Yeah. You know, this is a, uh... This is a, a very interesting one to think whether to take this in a you know in a personal direction or a business direction. Um, well, I, uh, I I just had my first child, so I have a I have a, a baby girl at home now, two months old. So congratulations! I still have a very new non-negotiable in my life, <laughs> yeah. which is uh, which is fantastic. Which is spending time with her and uh, you know being available as as I best I can as a father. Um, and then on the business front, you know, I think um, I think. Attitude is really a non-negotiable. It doesn't mean that we don't get off of our, of our, uh, you know, the mental state we want to be at. Uh, sometimes, of course, we do, um, but that that's really, really important, right? Of just really being having some excitement around what we're doing and some enthusiasm for the work really goes a long way when you're uh, when you're in the trenches trying to really build something. And what advice would you give to your 22 year old self? Yeah, I love this question. I, um, you know, I used to coach and I, I, in athletics, and I think about, you know, some of these things quite a bit. So yeah, I think for me, the answer to that is really to optimize for learning. You know, when I think of, um, when I look back, right, there's kind of a, I mean, 22, no idea what you want to do and trying to get into things. And, and really, from a professional perspective, pick opportunities that give you the greatest chance to learn and to develop and to grow over everything else, over salary, uh, over, you know, um, some particular uh, company. I'm certainly biased to the startup world. That's where I've spent my career. But there's no question that how much you can learn in a startup environment because you simply have to wear a lot of hats, I think is a really smart thing to do, especially early in your career. And, and not that can't happen in a large organization. I'm sure it can. But make sure you're in a position where you can really learn not just learn in terms of skill development and being able to develop, but also learn what you like, right? What you enjoy and, and really help that be a, a core part of your decision-making. Because ultimately what we enjoy is going to be what we're going to go deep on and continue, continue to learn from in a sustainable way. And what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah. Wow. Um, 
a lot motivates me. I think, uh, you know, certainly there's, there's the inner circles and the outer, outer rings, right? So inner circles being, you know, family and, and doing the best that you can for your family and for your community. Um, but, uh, you know, as it relates to this opportunity, I, I really feel it's tremendous. And that motivates me a lot. Just that I feel that, you know, after 10 years and 3,000 buildings later, that we're still just scratching the surface of what's really possible in terms of the real impacts that we can have on the people that operate buildings and on the the environmental impacts that buildings create. Um, so that that is massively motivating for sure. All right, last question here. What do you want your lasting legacy to be? I, I should think about that more. I, I still think of myself as young, but maybe I'm not as young as I think anymore. I think <laughs> about lasting, about legacy. <laughs> um, but certainly, you know, I think, um, I think people really remember how they how they were treated, right? So I, I would certainly hope that legacy would be something related to uh, to uh, helping to lift people up, right, and uh, and be a loyal friend and colleague. Well, that's excellent, Alex. I think that's a, way, a perfect way to wrap up the show here. So thanks for being a guest on the Building Efficiency Podcast. Thank you, Jim. A lot of fun. Appreciate it. All right. All right, there you have it. Episode 90 with Alex Grace. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcasts. We hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well. And one last thing, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.